Hey everyone, husband here. And I'm wife. If you've been listening to us, then you know we're all about reading the Bible and reacting to it on our first read-through. Cuss words, crying, laughing, and more. We're passionate about creating a podcast that takes the sanctity out of the sacred text and simply stating it as we see it. But we can't do it without your help. We're asking for your support to help us keep this podcast going. There are two ways you can donate. Text SACDIS, that's S-A-C-D-I-S, to 53. 555 if you're in the U.S. with a one-time donation. Any amount helps. Or if you'd rather start a sustaining membership, sign up on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash sacrilegious discourse. Membership levels start as low as $2 a month. We are amazed and grateful for our fans that support us now, and you can become one too. With your support, we can keep sacrilegious discourse alive and well for years to come. So please donate today. Text SACDIS to 53555 if you're in the U.S. Or sign up for our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash sacrilegious discourse. In the market for investment worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Sacrilegious Discourse. I'm husband. And I'm wife. Together we're reading the Bible for the very first time. We grew up without religion and wanted to know what all the fuss was about. Well, what have we learned so far? That God is a dick, and apparently some people believe in talking donkeys? We're not trying to pass ourselves off as experts. Nope, we're just reading the Bible for the first time and giving our first take reaction. If you'd like to join us in this venture, you might consider starting at episode one. Otherwise, jump in wherever you like. Alright, let's go read the Bible. Yeah, let's get to it. Husband! Wife! Do you know what we're doing today? I believe we just finished a book of the the Bible. We did. We finished another book. We yeah. finished Solomon's Song of Songs and Canticle of Canticles. Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. Yeah. Yes. And so that means that today we're going to be doing what? Wrapping it up and talking about the book as a whole. Okay. Sounds sounds like a plan. Stuff like that. Yeah. You so know. erotic poetry wrap up. Yeah. Got yeah. it. You ready to do this? I am. Let's uh let's go do it. Okay. 
Okay, so we are going to talk about uh, Song of Songs. Okay. Song, song of Solomon. Song, yeah, Song of Solomon. Yeah. You try to confuse everybody all the way through this. You're well, that's like, because there's... It's got a million names, and I'm just going to say them all every time. Because it, it doesn't have a specific name. No, I so know. So no. if, if it can't be I just bothered... Like, I like the, the, you know, keep it simple, stupid, you know? I like to say it is stupid, so I'm going <laughs> to prove that by every time I mention it, not knowing what it's called. Got it. So okay. I thought we would talk a little bit about the book itself first, and then we talk a little bit about who is the Shulamite woman. Got it. Who she be. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, looking at the erotic poetry itself, it is exactly what it looks like it is. It's a celebration of sexual love, both human and divine. And it's rooted in the fertility religions of the ancient Near East. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, right. It's also about the sacred marriage rite and the funeral feast. That's actually interesting because as we were reading through it, you mentioned like Multiple they compared. Times. Yeah. Well, and they compared a lot of the beauty to, you know, spices and things of the mm-hmm. Far East. Yes, yes. So that that's interesting. Right. Kind of makes me feel like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Like, I, I picked up on that. Right, yeah. right. No, that's yeah. awesome. So, the question keeps coming up, what the fuck is a collection of erotic poems doing in the Bible? Right. right? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, There are several different theories. Um, If we discovered the book today, there's absolutely no fucking way it would be included. <laughs> I mean, that just goes without saying. Right, yeah. But it's fun it to say. does not fit. Because sex. Yeah, yeah, that too. Sex is natural. Sex is good. Not, not everybody does it, but everybody should. <laughs> yeah. Um. So many ancient rabbis were very uneasy about the book's inclusion in the canon. I don't doubt it. I don't right, doubt it. Right. Um, as a matter of fact, even some that did say, yeah, let's go ahead and do this. They were also like quick to follow up with, but absolutely y'all will not be singing this shit in the bars. And <laughs> there was one guy that even went so far as to say, and hey, um, preachers and, and priests and whatever else, teachy yeah. guys that are right. going around. Pastors, et cetera. Yeah, et cetera, whatever. All, all y'all. Passing on the word of God. Right. FYI, if you are not right spiritually, like, and dedicated to being um what's that word celibate right like don't you, don't read this don't read it wow yeah I, I was i was gonna say actually this is probably the book that they kept you know underneath their uh their mattress you know? right like this was their playboy <laughs> magazine yeah um that there's more truth in that than you right. might have thought yeah. yeah so the song was accepted into the jewish canon of scripture in the second century ce Okay. Okay. Right. After a period of controversy in the first century. Uh-huh. So it was like, should we, shouldn't we, should we, shouldn't we? And then in the second century of of this side of the continuum, they were like, well, okay. Right. And it was a result of many rabbis seeing this text as merely secular love poetry mm. and not worthy of canonization. So they were like, this is just, this is just sex. Right. This has no religious value. I mean, it really doesn't. In in so far right. as I can see, right there there are no there there is no religious value that I can see. No, but not none. not with regard to Christianity and Judaism. 
Right. You anyway. have to try really hard. Right. And they do. They try really oh, hard. Yeah. Yeah. They take the allegory tact. Right. And right. I'm like, you can, but that's just like your opinion, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was considered as one of the books to be excluded. Okay. And it was accepted as canonical canonical only because of its supposed authorship by Solomon and based on allegorical reading where the subject matter was taken to be not sexual desire, but God's love for Israel. So right. that's where it started. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, putting this on the bookshelf, um, a lot of people maybe suggest that it was um, just a book in his library that was um, a oh, what's it called? Opera being done at the time. Okay. That was like trendy. And so it was like just one of those things on his bookshelf. Got it. Got it. And and that kind of, there's like almost not stage direction, but like, and then these people say, and the chorus responds. Right. No, that, yeah. And I mean, you can actually picture it in your head as a musical done on stage. That's that's actually a good point. Yeah. So that's that's my thought on it. I, I kind of lean towards that, that it right. was a production and he had it on a shelf. I could see that. That, that makes actually a lot of sense in, right. my, in my head anyway. Sure. Sure. Now, some still today avoid this book altogether. Okay. <laughs> um, remember when I was saying that um, if you if if you don't feel like you're close to God, yeah. let me tell you exactly what this guy said. Okay. okay. His name was Origen, um, and he lived circa one eighty five to two fifty four. Okay. So like way early on. Okay. Yeah. He was an important teacher in the early church, and he said of the Song of Solomon. I advise and counsel everyone who is not yet rid of vexations of the flesh and blood and has not ceased to feel the passions of this bodily nature to refrain from reading the book and the things that will be said about it. <laughs> now, he felt that he was prepared because he castrated himself when he was a young man. Oh, man. So he was definitely removed from uh, wanting that kind of pleasure. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, I'm good. Right. So that's, that's that's just disturbing. Dedication like, mutilation, to the Lord. Mutilating yourself mm -hmm. for God. Yeah. That's disturbing to me. That's higher level bullshit. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Um, Song of Songs is one of the overtly mystical biblical texts for the Kabbalah. Remember oh. that's that mystical stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it gives an interpretation on all the Hebrew Bible. Okay. Okay. The Kabbalah does. Yeah. And following the dissemination of the Zohar, remember that was the Kabbalah book. Thing, okay. Yeah. In the 13th century, so you know, right, still early on. Right. Jewish mysticism took on a metaphorically anthropomorphic erotic element, and Song of Songs is an example of this. Hmm. So. Okay. There's that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it, you know, it's we talk about this all the time, but you can twist the Bible to be whatever you want it to be, mm -hmm. right? There's mm -hmm. so many different takes on it. And especially if you take into account some of the things that are left out of it, you know, you can you can basically write whatever version of mm -hmm. Christianity or Judaism that you want. Of course you can. It's just a matter of how you interpret it. Um, listening to hateful preachers pull right? out pieces, right? yeah. I'm like, but I could be just as emphatic by pulling out all the things that disagree with that, all yeah. the contradictions. Yeah. If I was an asshole blustery on a stage like you and saying, 
This is absolutely the truth and the way because it says right here and consider, you know, verse blah, 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 blah. Like if I was a blustery asshole, I could totally be the same way. I could I, I could be as emphatic and like this is the final word. Right. Which more to the point, the way that we're reading the Bible, I think we're doing it on purpose in such a way that it is literal ish mm -hmm. because you can interpret these things in so many different ways. Right. Like it, it, we want to leave it up to the individual to take it as we read it and yeah. as, you know, as we respond to it, mm -hmm. because who, who gets to be the ultimate authority on how it does get interpreted? That's what bothers me. Right. These people that get up on stage and say, my interpretation is the interpretation. And I'm like, who the fuck are you? Right. There certainly is no God telling us this is the way to interpret it. Right. So what gives you that authority? Right. Like, what do you think gives you that authority besides the fact that you're a blustery male? Right. And we all know how wife feels about fucking blustery ass males. Yeah. yeah Ugh. Right. So Jewish tradition reads this book as an allegory of the relationship between God and Israel, right. which we already knew. Yep. And in modern Judaism, certain verses from the song are read on Shabbat Eve or at Passover, okay. which marks the beginning of the grain harvest, as well as commemorating the exodus from Egypt. And I think I said some of that like up front before we started yeah. the book. Yeah, I remember you saying but some But it just kind of bears repeating when we talk about different ways that people read this. Yeah. And um, according to Jewish tradition, it's supposed to symbolize the love between the Jewish people and their God. Got which, it. Which, that's nice. Whatever. But that's not how it reads. No. I, I mean, I'm just, I, I can't it's get over. It's really not. Like, I, I, I tried really hard to imagine it mm -hmm. as an allegory for the relationship between God and Israel. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get myself it, there. Because it's not. Right. It's just not. Um. I When we get into who was the Shulamite woman, there's a better theory for what this shit is all about. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. So the literal subject of the song of songs is love and sexual longing between a man and a woman. And it has little or nothing to say about the relationship of God and man. Okay. Which, right. Like, yeah. No shit. Right. And in order to find such a meaning, it was necessary to resort to allegory, <laughs> treating the love that the song celebrates as an analogy for the love between God and church. So, the Christian church's interpretation of the song began as evidence of God's love for his people. Okay. Both collectively and individually. Sure. Which, you know. I mean. That's very again, similar to Jewish tradition. Right, right. Um, well, you, you had said earlier that it was the relationship between God and, and church or whatever, or Jesus and church or whatever. Mm -hmm. But either way, it's you're either, still doing a heavy mental acrobats to get there yes yes you're either saying let's pretend that this is about god and israel or you're like no let's pretend this is about god jesus and the church as right. the bride right and it's like no neither one right there is no fucking that is done with any of those things this was about fucking you guys yeah, it really was and let's not pretend otherwise <laughs> you sillies over the centuries, the emphasis of interpretation shifted first, which I found this interesting, like how they read it shifted over time. Yeah. Okay. So first they read the song as a depiction of the love between Christ and the church. The 11th century, they added a moral element. Mm. And this is just the Christians I'm talking about yeah, now. Yeah, sure. Okay. Right. Like we already see that it went from a shift from the way the Jewish interpret it still today and now and how the Christians interpret it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, so first it was just the Christ and the church, the end. 
Then in the 11th century, they added a moral element. And then in the 12th century, um, they started interpreting the bride as the Virgin Mary. Oh, you know, keeping herself really? chaste. I don't see how you get there, but okay. Yeah, I don't either, but that's interesting. Right. And um, with each new reading, it would absorb the the previous interpretations. Got it. So it, it didn't ever replace the old interpretations. It just kind of adapted them the way the Christian religion does. Well, and what I know about Christian religion in general is that they never read an entire story. Like right. they, they pick out bits and pieces that are convenient for their for the interpretation as to how they want to present it. Mm-hmm. And so I could see you picking it apart and using this verse and that verse yes. to make it say what you want it to say. Exactly. But you can't read that whole thing in in full and come up with that same fucking message. No, it's just it's just not can't. there. It's not. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. So as you just said, these theological themes are not found explicitly in the poem, but rather come from a theological reading. Right. So uh, let's pretend. Okay? Right. A cherry picked version. Yes. Nevertheless, what is notable about this approach is the way it leads to conclusions not found in the overtly theological books of the Bible. So right. there's nothing to support any of these ideas of Anywhere let's else pretend. in the Bible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Those books reveal... Um, I found this this really, really, really interesting. <laughs> okay, the other books of the Bible, they reveal an abiding imbalance in the relationship between God and man, ranging from slight to enormous. Right. Like, the relationship between God and man is completely just... Right. They're, God wins every fucking yeah, time. Yeah, he's so powerful, he's strong, I'm a piece of shit. Sure, right? yeah. Um, reading songs as a theological metaphor produces quite a different outcome. It's more of an intimate relationship with God and a very close relationship with God. One in which the two partners are equal, bound in a committed relationship. Right. So it doesn't even hold up under that scrutiny. Right, right. But that's convenient for a more liberal take on the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, you're still cherry picking. You're still taking what you want from it to make it what you want. Exactly. Exactly. And you're leaving out the other shit where God is an asshole. Mm-hmm. And and killing people and and, and just like, fucking shit up left and right. But love, and then when you're like, okay, so love, and then they're like, no, not love. <laughs> and it's like, what? you just said it. no, only that one time. Right, right. And and they're like, it's just, it's, it's, Christ it's, is love, and you're like, so Christ is love, and they're like, oh, but not really and always, and you know, you're too soft. The part that bugs me about the Bible is the many, many, many inconsistencies in it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just where we're at so far. And I know there's more to come. Yeah. You know, like it, it's so. Annoying. Yeah. Infuriating. It really is. It really is. Irritating. Yes. Vexing. <laughs> <laughs> um, in modern times, the poem has attracted the attention of feminist biblical critics. I can see that. With some treating it as an exemplary text. Because okay. she was in charge of her own body and self. And she stood up. And decided whomst she would fuck and whomst not. <laughs> I get that. But if you're reading that portion of this book, you have to have also read the bit where she's underage. And and, and there's, I, gonna, I know that there's no explicit text saying I'm going to get to that when okay. we talk about the sh- who is the Shulamite woman. All right. I'm going right. to get to that. Okay. Okay. So hold on to that thought. I'm, I'm holding. Okay. I'm holding. I'm trying. I mean, I'm the one that brought up. Hey, titty-sized grapes, this is a kid. <laughs> no, I know, so, but then when you pointed it out to me and 
and we read a little bit further, it was like, oh, so Jesus. So obvious. Right. Yeah. yeah. But we'll get to that, okay? So continuing talking about how Christianity treats the book, or yeah, the song. Yeah. Um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints specifically rejects the Song of Solomon as inspired scripture. So they're like, oh. no, it's not even part of not our... Not even in their Bible. No, wow. it's not canon for them. So we can't talk to the Jehovah Witnesses about that then? I'm like, let's talk about the Song of Songs. <laughs> and they'll be like, what's that? I've never. That's not in our book. Here, let me pull out my Bible. Let's, yeah. let's read through it together. Yeah. Maybe we'll learn something. Since we both love Christ so much, yeah. you know, right. we're all going to heaven, right? Yeah. But we're not... That would be that would be interesting. Like it's good to know that that's not in that book because yeah. that would be an interesting little uh, exercise if anybody cared to, to do it. Yeah, <laughs> only if you tell me how old was the Shulamite woman. Who but was the Shulamite woman. I am going to need you to record that and send it to us if you do it. Yes. So yes, definitely. <laughs> so now we've talked about how the Jewish and how the Christians um, read the book. Let's talk about the Muslims a little bit. Okay. So Muslim apologist Harris Zafar presents the traditional, this is so interesting. Yeah. So interesting. Presents the traditional Muslim contention that the Song of Songs mentions Muhammad by name in chapter 5, verse 26. Okay. I know. I was like, how the fuck do you get that? So I I take it that this is in the Quran as well. Uh, Apparently. Apparently. All right. Yeah, I I haven't read the Quran, so I no, can't yeah, tell you, I, but right. if they have an opinion on it, it then I would be. imagine right. so. Right. So I was like, how did you get Muhammad out of any of that? But let's yeah. not forget we're reading it in English. Sure. Okay. Sure. So uh, chapter 5, verse 26 of Song of Songs is, his mouth is most sweet. He is altogether lovely. Okay. Like, where is Muhammad in that? Right. Zafar argues that in the original Hebrew, those last two words are are pronounced Muhammadim with the suffix I-M, M, expressing respect and greatness as in the Hebrew word Elohim, Elohim. Okay. Okay. All right. So Muhammadim, Elohim. As the first translations long preceded Muhammad's births. Let me try that sentence again. Sure, sure. As the first translations of this book long preceded Muhammad's birth, Translators, he suggests, not knowing any better, adopted the more mundane reading that Jews and Christians still use today. So Zafar also supports the view that the Song of Songs is not a love poem narrated by a man about a woman, but is instead a poem narrated by God about the people of Israel. So very similar to the Jewish tradition, except that he believes that the name of God via Muhammad yeah. is mentioned in this Bible. Got it. So it's also in this um, prophetic. Then. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. That is very similar to the Jewish interpretation, except. Sure. Except for. Okay. And and actually, he raises a valid point. I can't argue it because I don't know enough. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're not going. I mean, it's hard enough to keep up with what we're trying to learn about the Bible and everything. In let alone. English. Dive into all the stuff on the interpretation Quran about, you know. of language. Right. Yeah. So to me, that that is a valid point. May or may not be true, but worthy of consideration. Sure. Sure. You know? Yeah. So others see this book primarily as a drama dealing with three characters. There's Solomon. There's a simple country shepherd, and there's the young maiden. Okay. okay. All right. And I didn't really understand that there were three people. I didn't either. Like I didn't. Take I thought. That. I thought the yeah. I thought that the. Um, 
Country Shepherd and Solomon were like the same person. Yeah, that's kind of how I thought. But there are interpretations where, no, there's two different guys. Oh. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about that in a minute. Okay. And that story is the one that makes sense. Was this like a love triangle or something? Yes, actually. And it makes a lot of sense. When we get into this. Part, okay. All right. Okay? Yeah. When we talk about who the fuck is the Shulamite woman. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So the idea is that Solomon one day traveled through his kingdom in this version of the story. Yeah. And he saw the young maiden and was captivated by her beauty. Though she was betrothed to the simple shepherd, Solomon brought her back to his palace and tried to win her affection with all lavish gifts and loving words. Oh. Though her resolve wavered. Just before she gave in to Solomon's attention and affection, she fled his palace and went back to her simple shepherd, her true love. Oh, this that makes a lot more sense, actually. Doesn't it? Yeah. Because, okay, let's talk about this. First of all, she refers to herself early on. She's like, I'm black, but still lovely. Right? Right. Now, what that means is that she was out working in the fields. And the reason that she was out working in the fields, the great... The vineyards. Right, right. Her brothers had placed her there in order to keep her working, keep her busy. You know, their job was to oversee her and make sure that she was kept chased. Right, So right. not only did they keep her busy, but they, quote, unquote, made her less attractive. Sure. Okay? Okay. So it was like all a ploy, right? Yeah. So she's out there working in the fields, and she's betrothed to this farm boy. Yeah. Farm boy, fetch me that picture. <laughs> and she's fine with that because they love each other. Right. Okay. Okay. And then Solomon and his dudes camp nearby. Okay. And either Solomon wandered by and saw her in the fields or his guys were like, dude, (laughs) there's this hot babe over there. you got to come see this chick. Right. So either way, he sees her. And even though she's quote unquote ugly or whatever, just from working in the sun, which that's just like your opinion, man. Again. Yeah. Right. Right. um, He's quite smitten with her. Right. So he takes her away. Now. Think about when she tries to run away and she's beaten up by the guards. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. They're, they've been told to keep her in the palace. Right. Right? Okay. And then remember when she says, you could give me all the gold and it still means nothing. Oh, right? my God. Right? Like, I'm getting chills because I'm like, this story makes so much more sense with right. this interpretation. Yeah. And then he is talking about jealousy. Yeah. He's yeah. jealous because he can't do anything to win this girl's love. And there are parts of it that when she's thinking about sex and stuff, those are dream sequences. Okay. Which if we are looking at this as a performance performed on stage, that would make sure, sense. Sure, sure. Um, because then she awakens from wow, the this dream. puts a whole new light on it. Right? Yeah. It actually makes it a story that's interesting instead of just weird and lewd. <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah. So, okay, so at the end, she goes back to her true love, and they're allowed to be betrothed. Okay. Okay? Yeah. And he's, like, just, Solomon is just, like, looking on this going, man, oh, man. Like, Mm. this is, you know, I I lost what could have been the love of my life and blah, blah, blah. Right, right. So there's that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about the Shulamite woman now. Sure. Right? You're like I, I see you just staring off into space. Well, I'm, just, You're I'm like, trying to think back on everything we read. You it's know? almost like, like I want to reread it now. I, I mean I don't. I but don't. I mean, you know. I, I don't, I, but I, I kinda do. I know. <laughs> like, wait, this this makes me understand things so much better. Right. Maybe. Kind of. Yeah, well, I mean I definitely 
Like, I might actually go back and re-listen to our episodes just because I'm like, what? Okay, right. okay. I, yeah. I need to I need to hear how this works out. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it, it's completely different from how I was taking it. Yeah, I had so, no idea that there was even the possibility that there were two dudes. Right. I was. I, I mean, I definitely mixed them into one person. Mm-hmm. So. And a lot of, most people do. Right, right. But this um, other theory has been put forth and it's supported and I, and by I many. And I like it. I like it. I like it too. Yeah. I like it too. And it fits in with the understanding that it was probably a, a performance. Sure. You know, the yeah. whole thing. And and that it wasn't really Solomon at all. That's so actually much as, really amazing. Right? I mean, in the context of like the historical relevance of this book and this story. Uh, yes. You know? Yes. Just as a piece of history, not as a biblical text. Right. Right. Just, just the way anything that we found it, like dinosaur bones is like. Sure. So cool, man. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 So the maiden is most likely called the Shulamite because she came from an unidentified place called Shulam. Okay. okay? Many scholars consider Shulamite to be synonymous with Shunamite, a person from Shunam. Because that was another place, place that was mentioned in the Bible elsewhere. Got it, got it. Shunem was a village in the territory of Issachar, north of Jezreel, and south of Mount Gilboa. Okay. If you got a map, yeah, and that yeah, means right. something Pull, to you. Yeah. So one theory on the, ident- on the identity of the Shulamite is that she is the daughter of Egypt's king. Now that doesn't like... That doesn't track with me. me. Yeah, because she would not be out in the fields. Right, yeah. Right? Um, whom Solomon married, which... That, that also doesn't track at all. Exactly. Right. But there is no evidence supporting this theory in the Song of Solomon. Okay. So it's, yeah. it's a theory that's like, maybe she was. Right. And then everybody's like, but probably not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So another speculation points to Abishag. You remember her? The name sounds familiar, but not. She pers- was the young Shunammite who served King David in his old age. She was the kiddo that came in and warmed oh, his body. Oh, damn. Right. It is plausible that Abishag is the Shulamite. We know she was from Shunem. Okay. She was specifically stated as from Shunem. Yeah. We know she was from there. She could also be, um, Shunem could be the same place as Shulam. Okay. So, you know, they've kind of mixed those up in places. It could be the same place. So we've got one girl in the whole Bible that's from here. Yeah, and, and so maybe. And we already know that Abishag was a, a young girl, like 12. Right, right. Sent in to warm the body of a king. Yeah. You know, yeah. and remain chaste or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they made a big fucking deal about saying how chaste she was. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, Abishag would have been known to David's son, Solomon, because of that. That's true. And Solomon's half-brother, Adon- Adoniah, remember, attempted to have Abishag as his own wife, and Solomon prevented the union. Huh. Do you remember all of that? That was all in kind First of, Kings. Kind of. Um, like Abish or Adoniah was trying to um claim that um Abishag was his because um he got to take his father's wives and got concubines. It. Okay. And oh, Solomon, yeah, yeah, and Solomon right. was like, um, A, they weren't married, B, she wasn't really a concubine, and C, right. fuck you, I'm gonna kill you. Right. So okay. there was all that. Sure. Now, that doesn't necessarily fit in with Solomon having discovered her in the fields. Yeah. But it is an interesting, huh, I'll consider that. Right, right. No, I mean, it makes more sense than the last one, the, mm-hmm. the queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't so. think she's the daughter of any king or queen. Right, she's right. She's just a kid caught up. In some in, 
crazy shit. She's a young, pretty girl in the wrong place in the wrong era. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Solomon uses passionate language to describe his bride and their love. This is going back to the idea that Solomon married yeah. her. Okay? okay. Which I don't think happened. Right. Solomon clearly loved the Shulamite according to this person's interpretation. Sure. Okay. He admired her character as well as her beauty. The bride and groom were obviously and passionately in love, and there was mutual respect and friendship between them. And this points to the fact that the Song of Solomon is the story of Solomon's first marriage. Mm. Before okay. he sinned by adding many other wives. <laughs> you know? I mean... The love of his life. Technically, in the Old Testament, there's not a big... Like, they never cover... That you can't marry more than one woman. Yes, they did. Oh, did they? Yes, they did. I must have forgot about that. You did forget because you commented on it at the time. Like, okay. I thought they weren't supposed to have, quote unquote, too many wives. Oh, and we well, talk yeah, about but too is... many. But I, yeah. And but it wasn't specifically really, more than one. It but was they too really many. wanted you to have only like one, right. maybe two. Right. Okay. And it was mostly if you have more than one, it was supposed to be for progeny. To pass on your sure. land and belongings. To make right. sure that everything stays in the family. But it seemed like an awful lot of people in the OT have multiple well, wives. Of course they did. It was very convenient for men. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Let's be fair. It was probably also very convenient for women. Because right. they were forced into these marriages, right? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be nice to have to share the household responsibilities? And if you don't really want to be fucking this guy... Would have right. been nice to you pass that off too. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, was kind of like, yeah. yay, it's your turn. I'm tired of fucking this dude. Yeah. Right. So, um, whoever she was, she was Solomon's first and truest love, this person believes. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. Okay. So, that. But I, I like the one story about the three. Like the, the, yes. the, you know, the person she was betrothed to, and mm -hmm. then the, and King Solomon, and then her. Yes. That's really interesting. I, I thought that made. Everything click into place. Now, you had a question, but how old was she? Right. Because that was my original question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, in the context of this three-person love triangle, mm -hmm. um, this would be her as a child when they're referring to her as a child and the brother's trying to keep her safe out in the fields, right? Yeah. Making her work out there. Because they're holding her for marriage to this other person that, he's, yes. that she's been betrothed to. Exactly. Right. And so... Part of the story takes place in the past when she's a child, and part of it takes place when she's an adult looking back on those times. Got it. And she's saying, this is why I'm so dark-skinned today, and this is why um, all of these things, but my brothers had kept me safe. And, right. you know, that I like that better. I, yeah. I like it better because that's a little bit more comfortable than thinking of, you know, Abishag the child right, who right. had to keep... The body of an old man warm yeah yeah definitely well that was that was an interesting um recap of that uh right? that book I, I i definitely learned some things today i did and, too uh, i'm i'm like i said i might even have to go back and re-listen to this one because mm -hmm. it's um it, it, it puts a whole new light on the whole damn thing right it makes so. it it makes it a little more tolerable and it makes it more um interesting yeah definitely well that was fun yeah all right so i think um we got one more episode to do for this book which will be you're always wrong except i'm right you're not though <laughs> and then um 
we may be taking well we're not gonna be doing anything on saturday i don't think right so um and then we'll be back on sunday i think with a sacrilegious book club that's right yes and then back on monday we'll be starting a new book isaiah chapter one we are entering the final stages of the old testament we're entering the last larger collection of the old testament um that's the uh prophets the minor prophets interesting all right well we'll look forward to doing that and we'll see you guys then yep bye bye Hey, wife, I guess that's the end. But husband, that's just sad. It doesn't have to be. We are on lots of social media platforms like Twitter. Our handle there is sacrilegious underscore D. For D's nuts. Oh my God. Stop doing that. Anyway, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. There's a link to all of our social media sites at our website. Ooh, we have a website? Yeah, it's sacrilegiousdiscourse.com, where you can also find a link to our merch shop. We have a merch shop? Yep. We have podcast-themed clothing, mugs, notebooks, and more, as well as an atheist and science-themed products. Wow, our fans should really go check that out right now. Definitely. They can get in touch with us by sending an email to sacrilegiousdiscourse at gmail.com. But before they do that, we could really use some help. Oh yeah? With what? Well, it's not free running the podcast, and we need some financial support in order to get better equipment, which will free up time so we can concentrate on our podcast and our fans. Okay, so what should they do? Head over to patreon.com forward slash sacrilegious discourse and sign up as a contributor on our podcast. Supporters there receive additional bi-weekly episodes that we record just for our Patreon members for as little as $2 a month. Also, we'd really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe on whatever platform you're using. And Apple Podcast Reviews help us out tremendously. Like and subscribe. Leave an Apple review. Join us on Twitter. Support us on Patreon. That's a lot of instructions. Don't forget to say thanks. Thanks. Okay, bye. 